We're looking at Psalm 145 tonight. And I want to start by kind of begin sharing a, a little bit of a story with you. For anybody that's ever been over to my house, y'all um, know that my order of loves, besides Jesus, Laura, my kids, right next, underneath that, is the game of cornhole. And um, I love this game. If you've never seen it, it's where you throw bags at the slanted boards and you make them go. So anytime you want to play, you just call me, text me, and we'll come dominate together. But here's the thing. Um, because I wanted to like make this a labor of love, I decided that I was going to actually build my own cornhole boards. Um, I don't have the tools to be able to do it, so I had to, you know, borrow somebody else's. And um, I never forget, um, it was getting the time where I'd made the frame, sort of a two-by-four frame, and I was laying the flat piece of plywood with a hole in it onto the frame, and I began to, um, you know, drive... Uh, nails down into to, to attach it well um i was around there was tools all around sawdust everywhere and um i was using a uh a wrench to tie the to fasten the legs to the uh to the board well uh my hammer was somewhere else to be found i was too lazy to get up and go get it so i took the wrench turned it on its side and began to try to drive nails into the board with a wrench now, anybody that knows anything about tools knows that that's completely stupid. Uh, and I, can, I remember after pounding on this thing, trying to get in, too lazy to get up off my butt to go find the hammer, I looked at the wrench, I threw it down in frustration, I was like, this is useless. This, like, I cussed it, I was like, you're useless. Get out of my face. You know, that sort of thing. And I went and got my hammer in frustration, I came back and started working on the boards and everything. But it hit me. I just called that wrench useless because it wouldn't do something that it was not intended to do. In other words, for it to be actually called useless, I need to know what a wrench is made for, what it does, what it's intended to be used for, and what it's not. And a wrench is made to tighten things, not to drive things. Why am I telling you this story? Well, I just want you to begin to think in this way. That certain things are made for certain purposes. And those purposes are distinct. They're not always made for everything. Now, that's not why I'm telling you the story. I didn't come here to talk to you about, you know, hardware or woodworking or this old wood shop or whatever you find on PBS. The reason I came to tell you this is, is that I actually want to suggest to y'all that you are a lot like that wrench. And that you have a purpose. And that you have an end. And that you have a goal. You were, you were created for a reason. And that most of you, believe it or not, are actually ordering, living out, fleshing out your life in a way that was never intended. I do this too. And it's what Psalm 145 speaks to us about. What is it going to say? It's going to say this. That your purpose, much like a wrench is used to fasten, or much like a hammer is used to drive, is this one thing. Are you ready? Your purpose, you were created to give praise to God. If you want to ask the best of philosophers, the best of psychologists, the best of those folks that study these sort of things, what is the, what is the meaning of life? Do you know what the Bible answer is? You were made 
for the glory and the praise of God. That is the meaning of your life. Are you driving nails or are you tightening things? We're going to look at that tonight. David is going to tell us in this beautiful psalm of praise that um, it is man's purpose along with the entirety of the, of the created world that the, the end... You can go, to the slide, go ahead and go to the slide. That the end for which you were made was that you ought to give praise to God. That's the whole reason the world was made. That's the whole reason you were made. To be a person that gives in everything that you are and in everything that you do, praise to God. This psalm is going to show us three important things. I didn't write them down, so you can if you want. It's first going to show us what praise is, the connection between the heart and the mouth. And then lastly, what the loveliest thing is. So it's going to show us three things. What praise is, a connection between the heart and the mouth, the mouth and the heart, and then what the loveliest thing is. Let's take a look at this first thing. What do I mean when I talk about praise? Well, David tells us. Look there in verses 1-3. to You see how he just comes out right of the gate, out of the gate like a sprinter after the gun has fired off. He says, I will extol You, my God and King, and bless Your name forever and ever. Every day, I will bless You and praise Your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. And like a great book with a great front cover and a great back cover, jump with me down to 21, he says the exact same thing. He says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. In other words, he's taking the two ends of the book and saying this is what this whole psalm is about. It's going to be about praising. I still haven't told you yet what it is. Here's what David means when he talks about praising. He wants you to begin to see that in every, almost every single one of these verses, David exhausts his vocabulary to find a language about speaking and expression. Did you notice this? Look. Look in verse 10. He says, All of your works shall give thanks to you, and all of your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of men. In verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generation. He goes on, he talks about up in where we've already read that he will bless and that he will extol. Y'all, David is trying to go through Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Find every word that he possibly can that's a synonym of the word praise and use it because that's what he's trying to highlight. The praise of God. I still haven't told you what it is, have I? Here's what he wants you to see. He wants you to know that praise is, is to speak highly. To speak honorable of something. It is to celebrate it. It's to honor something with the totality of one's being. Both in what we say and in what we do and in who we are. And that one, whoever that is, it pours forth speech with its words highlighting the loveliness of its object. It's interesting to note that David can speak that not only do people do this, but inanimate objects do this as well. If you have your Bible, turn back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, again, written by David. And he's going to say this. If you don't have it, that's okay. I'm going to read it. He says this about 
literally the heavens, the stars. Do you know what he says? He says, the heavens declare the glory. There it is, that's speaking. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day, speech, or pour, they pour out speech. And night to night, they reveal their knowledge. Do you see what he's trying to say? That there is not one square inch of creation that if you were to examine it, and from the eyes of David, it is pouring out praise, honor. It is magnifying God Himself. And guess what? You and me are included in that. Now, I read all that to you, and I actually want to say that you and me do this not only with what we say, but with what we do, how we are as well, like who we are as people. If you're familiar with your Bible, you'll remember in Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 actually, God makes Adam, He makes Eve, and they're called image bearers. You ever heard that word before? An image bearer is somebody that reflects the image of the one that has made them. So much like uh, our children in some way reflect a little bit of their parents, maybe in their looks, you know, maybe you have your dad's eyes. Or maybe you have the same laugh as your mom. Or they look at pictures of you and your grandfather and they say, you look a lot like him. You're an image bearer in that way. Well, the Scriptures say that you and me reflect God's very image just by being created human. And that when Genesis chapter 3 came along and sin entered the world, all of that got muffled. It didn't go away but it got muffled, like looking through a, a, a glass with Vaseline on it. It became, it became opaque. And that's what leads Paul to be able to say in Romans 3.23 when he says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, he's trying to say that because of sin, you don't reflect like you're meant to anymore. But one day it's coming when you will again. Look, all I'm trying to get at is this, is that we are meant to praise. And to praise God means that we would speak highly of Him. To, to name Him as ultimate and as supreme. That's exactly what David is doing in this song. Let's keep moving. Not only did he say that, but David says this too. He wants us to see that there is something that literally fuels the mouth. In other words... Words spoken in praise are the effect of something. They're the effect of some deeper cause. What is it? Well, let's take a look at the largest part of the psalm. Verses kind of 4 through 20-ish. And David's basically going to highlight the connection between the mouth and the heart. David knows that there is something about the way the mouth works. That when the mouth is praising something, it doesn't start there. That it starts deeper. He knows that the mouth is like a car in some way. That it won't go without gas in the tank. In other words, there's something that fuels the mouth. And it's the heart. David realizes that we praise, y'all, what we love always. You can write that down. Your mouth will always praise what your heart loves. Have you ever thought about that? you will speak well of what you find lovely. Think about this. You don't praise the things you hate. You don't go, 
if you hate green peas like I did when I was a kid, I love green peas. You don't do that. You curse green peas. <laughs> right? I mean, whatever the thing is in your life. Think about it like this. Imagine the last time that you... Whatever your favorite food is. I had a fantastic steak this weekend. Imagine the last time that that steak crossed your mouth. Or that home, that uh, home-cooked Thanksgiving dinner. Or whatever it is. And you tasted that piece of whatever, and you went, what? Oh, it's so good. So good. Or remember the last time that you went and heard a musical piece, or you heard your favorite band play? Do you remember what you did? You went, these guys are awesome. Or, that was so good. Or perhaps you've looked at a newborn like Laura and I have over the past year and we just can't help but love our little girl's chubby cheeks and chubby knees and we just go, oh, they're so squishy and lovable. And we love them. Or perhaps you've got that girlfriend or that boyfriend and you love their company and you just can't help but to speak well of them because of all they mean for you in your life. Here's what I'm trying to get at. You know how to praise. You don't have to be taught that. You come out of the womb knowing how to do it. When our little Evangeline, we give her the two-cent plastic Easter egg, you know, you know what I'm talking about? She goes berserk for it. She's like, ah! And just loves it. And plays with this little two-cent toy like it's the best thing ever. Her squeal is a squeal of praise. And I want to suggest to you this, that whatever your heart loves, it will praise. There's the connection between the mouth and the heart. Now, how am I going to drive this home? I kind of want to take it in contrast. Christians, what drives your praise? First of all, do you do it? Are you a man, are you a woman who's characterized by giving thanks to God? Are you able to look at what David does in these verses? Do you see there where he says, The Lord upholds all who are falling down and raises them up. That's verse 14. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food. So God provides. He provides for everything in creation. Verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all His ways. Verse 18, the Lord is near. Have you ever felt alone? Have you ever been alone and longed for God to show His presence to you and then He does it? He meets you? How do you respond? David says we ought to praise him. Or what about when you've been when life just sucks? And you're asking for God to come in some way to meet and to lift you up off the ground, so to speak. Has he done that? Do you know times in your life where he's done that? David invites us to remember what it looks like to praise. So here's my question Do you do it? And then if so, what's driving it? Listen, the book of Isaiah starts like this with God looking out at His people, them bringing animal sacrifices into the temple with their hearts far from God. They're just going through the motions. Do you know what I mean? Like There's the external forms without the internal reality going on. There's this disconnect between the external and the internal. And do you know what God says when He sees this going on? He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices? 
I've had enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I don't delight in the blood of bulls or lambs or of goats. In other words, God is saying, it's meaningless to me. Do you know that we do that? When we kind of just go through the motions? It's as if we're coming in and we sing things. Again, I'm talking about Christians here. We come in, we see things, we kind of go through the motions. And God looks at us and He goes, Ryan, what's going on? You think I need your songs? Yeah, I need your prayers? Look, I don't want... I don't want your performances. I want you. I want you. I want your very heart. And so God is beginning to try to get at us a little bit and to say, what I really am after is the heart. And I'm longing for you to praise because I want your heart, not these external forms, so to speak. That seems to be what's going on here. Now, look. Let me just drive this home. Fellas, go to your girlfriend or some girl you like and surprise her, really surprise her with like a card, like the $100 bouquet of flowers. And when she walks into your presence, give them to her. And when she bursts out with, oh my gosh, they're awesome. I can't believe you would do this. What's the occasion? Why are you doing this for me? Say to her, because I'm supposed to. And watch the air just go out of the balloon. (laughs) Ladies, y'all know what I'm talking about. The same is with God. Do all the good stuff. Do it all. Disconnected from the heart. Fellas, Girls like the flowers, but they, they mean a whole lot less when the heart's not behind it. And that's what Jesus is saying about our very praise. The mouth is fueled by the heart. I'll put it very simply. The mouth will freely praise what the heart finds to be the most lovely. What is that thing that takes us to our last point? I've said all along that it praises what it finds lovely, but I've not talked about what that is. Now you can probably, you're probably ahead of me, right? But the psalmist is saying over and over again that it is God Himself that we're supposed to look at and to see as the most lovely thing. What is it that David finds lovely? What is it that makes his heart move so? What does David find to be the loveliest of things? What takes his heart stabs it and utterly moves it, the answer comes to us very plainly. David's heart is arrested. It stops in its place, y'all, by the goodness of God. The very goodness of God. In other words, David considers all that God is and all that God has does, and this is the thing that moves him. Look how David says this. In verse 7, he says, They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. And then right into verse 8, the Lord is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. 
David is considering, y'all, the character of God and is speaking of how kind He is to the world that He has made. To you and to me, He gives us all that we need for life. Look, He gives you breath. He gives you food. He gives you community and friends. To some, He gives spouses. He provides for your needs by giving you a job. He gives you an education by which you can get that job. He provides for you finances so that you can get that education. And He provides for you intelligence so that you can actually get that that education. And that's just with one sliver of your life. He provides every little tick of your heart. And do you know why He does that? Because in Him is goodness. He does not look at you, thank God, and go, he or she is such a good person. And because they're so moral and so good, I'll give them their next breath. Do you know what He would do if He had to examine your moral record and give you breath on life of that, on basis of that? All of y'all would drop dead like this. He's kind to you because He's good. That's what David wants us to see. Let's keep going. What else is it? Moreover, God wants you to see that He holds up those who are fainting. We've already asked this question. But do you see it there in verse 14? I'm sorry, in verse, yeah, in verse 14, that He holds up those who are down who are down in the midst, and He says, I will hold you up. Moreover, it says this, the eyes of all look to you, God, and you give them their food in due season. You open your your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The birds of the air all the way down to the last cell and those tulips that are on the front lawn over there. God is providing everything for their very existence. And do you know why He's doing that? Because He's good. Because He is good. And I want you to see this. That the same is for you and me. David invites you and me to pause for a moment and to consider how God has been good to you. He wants you to take a break and to take a look. To take a break from feeling like we have to hurry through life and to take a look to take an inventory, if you will, of how much God really has done for you and me. Look, let's get practical. If you're a senior and you're about to graduate, do you realize it is God who has gotten you through school? Now, some of you are ready to say that because you're like, yeah, I know that. Every time I have a freaking test, I pray and I go, God, help me. (laughs) And He has and He does. And those of y'all that are finishing your first year of school, God has gotten you through that year. And He's done that because He's kind. He is kind to you. And that's, again, that's just one small sliver. Look, I want you to begin to see this. That the Bible reminds us that the presence, the presence of any good that comes to you in your life is because it comes from the good giver who gives good. It comes from God Himself. Look, What do you honestly believe right now that God thinks of you? That's tough. Because this very night for me, I'm driving over here. I told the ministry team this earlier. And I'm just distraught. Heart is cynical. 
I, I don't, like if I'm just being honest, I didn't want to come tonight. Um, I don't have anything really left in the tank. And the last thing I want to do is come preach to y'all. Not because I don't like you, I love you, I'm just exhausted. And on my way down, I pick up, my, I pick up the phone and I call my friend. And he reminds me of something in Luke chapter 11 where it says that God is like, a, is like is our heavenly Father who gives us good things because He's kind and He's good. And like, in a moment, my heart was just softened. What about you? Are you a cynical man, a cynical woman? And do you believe that God doesn't give two shakes about you? Nothing could be further from the truth if you're in Christ. God delights in you. And it is His ultimate aim to do nothing but good for you all the rest of the days of your life. That's what this psalm is about. And it's not merely that God is doing good to you, but because He wants you to see that good that you might pour forth speech about it. So do you kind of see the connection? God dumps with a cosmic dump truck. He backs it up on you, pulls the lever, and just unloads goodness to you. And He does so because He loves you. And you're meant to see all that He does for you and then to turn around and to give praise for that. That's what David is trying to drive home tonight. I want to close with a few more thoughts. I basically want to ask this. How can you guys know that God really is good to you? Like, you can stand, I can stand up here and tell you about it, but... How has God shown to you that He is actually good? And I want to take you square to the cross of Christ. That you will find no greater expression of God's love, mercy, and kindness, even enjoyment and delight of you, than on the cross of Christ. Here's why. At the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, He was bowed down and bowed low and He begged God that He would take the cup of suffering that He was soon to face while hanging on the cross away from Him. In other words, He was bowed down low and God heard the prayer and He shut it out. He said, I won't do it. I won't lift you up, Jesus. You will walk through this. And hear me. In other words... If it's because of Jesus and Him not ever being raised up that you and me get that sort of treatment. Let me put a finer point on it. God knows this about you. That you're a hot mess. That you're jacked up. That you are not perfect. And that you love a hundred other things before you love God. And in spite of that, He says, I'll go to the cross for them. I will win them. And do you know what God does in that moment? It's like a bank transaction. Something is purchased for you. It's not just that you're forgiven. Most Christians think the cross is about forgiveness. And you know what? That's true. Your sins are forgiven, but there's something else that happens. All of the righteousness that Jesus Himself has What is righteousness? It is that right standing before God Himself. It is that favor. It is that acceptance. It is that delight that the Son has with the Father and with the Spirit. 
that righteousness at the cross is credited to you. If you have a bank account, that righteousness is put into your account such that now your standing before the holy triune God is as holy and righteous and perfect as Jesus' Himself. Let that hit you in the mouth. Because what that means is what John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying, says. Jesus is saying this. He says, as He is praying for you, staggering. He says, the love of God the Father, which you have loved Me the Son with, I am going to the cross that this, that your love might be in them. That your love for me might be the same as it is for them. Do you know, let me put this as basically on that can as on the lower shelf. God the Father loves you just as much and not an ounce more and not an ounce less than He loves the Son. Have you ever considered that? That's the brilliance of the Gospel. Our series has been called Learning to Love. And I want to suggest to you guys that the whole thing that we've been trying to work out is this. Your heart will be changed when you see that you're loved like that. So what does it look like to grow in love? It looks like this. It's seeing how much that you yourself are loved and how much you're enjoyed because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to leave you with. I hope that you'll hear it. I pray that God will take these things and mash them into your heart and that you might actually believe them. That you would believe them. That you would look at your unbelief and that you would say, be gone. Get out. This is what is true. That Jesus Christ loves sinners and has died for them. Will you pray with me?